Our world has drastically changed since we were hit with the pandemic about two years ago, and it's affected each and every one of us. The wild real estate market we experienced was a direct result of that pandemic. Things have settled down today. Actually, the market has completely flipped. It's slow. Sales are down. Listing inventory is also down. And I keep getting asked where I feel the market is going. Well, I don't have all of the answers. I also rely on credible news stories and what the economists and real estate experts tell us. In the end, none of us really knows what's going to happen. I'm Desmond Brown, and today on Sold in the Six, I'm going to speak to someone who is as good as or better than anyone at telling us where we're at and what could possibly happen. Steve Tabrizi is the Chief Operating Officer of my company, Remax Hallmark. And we've had him on the podcast many times. And like I've said, in my opinion, no one has as much knowledge about real estate or the market as Steve does. Steve, welcome back to Sold in the Six. Thank you very much for inviting me again. It's always a pleasure to speak with you and be on your podcast. Well, thanks very much, Steve. Well, I feel really lucky to have you today because just yesterday you presented your market review and prediction to our wide company, to everybody in the company, and it was excellent. So our listeners get a chance to hear what you've told all of us realtors. So let's get into it. I think, you know, the best way to approach this is uh, pretty well the way you gave your presentation and take a look at where we were in 2022, those trends and the impact that the market or or the the elements had on the market. Well, you know, it was very interesting that uh, how the 2022 started. It started with the frenzy and no one had really a good explanation and no one in the media talked about it. I f- personally think uh, finally in October of the 2021, we genuinely and truly we came out of the COVID. It was sort of a go back to the normal life. Mm-hmm. And I think there were a very good portion of the buyer still were sitting on the sideline and the cheap money. They realized, okay, now I'm back to normal. I regain my normal life. COVID is not going to kill me. And the money is cheap. Let me go buy property. So we had a frenzy market till March of the last year. And then it got to a point yeah. that it become a scarcity. Buyers, they were afraid. They don't want to compete in the 50 multiple offers. And then the noise around the inflation and the interest rate, uh, seven times rate increase. And then it created the uncertainty of the market. As I shared yesterday, we have two audience, buyers and sellers. And I think the COVID and the era of the COVID and the stimulus package and the cheap money created this perception that this is the real market. And I think the 2022 Mm, was... Yeah, 2022 was the year to really, from from our side, practitioners, economists, people like you... And just basically telling the people, hold on a second. Yes, we had a good run, but that wasn't a real run. A real run, it's going to be a normal and a stable market. And I think that was the battle of the 2022, convincing the buyers that the market is not crashing, convincing the seller what you saw late 21 and early 22, maybe repeat itself 10 years from now, not anymore. Yeah, no, yeah, it was it was 
pretty well artificial when you take a look at it, like the way the prices went February, March. Like they were through the roof. And like you said, there was that frenzy, but then buyer fatigue started setting in. And then the first of our seven rate increases kind of, you know, put everything more on a level playing field. It put it in a more level playing field. I like to compare it to Black Friday or Boxing Day. Nobody needs extra TV. Nobody needs extra clothes. What happened on a Black Friday? People go crazy. They just buy things that they don't need. So because the prices are cut in half or by 70%. So what's the prices in our industry? It's not a price of the home. It's a price of the lending. So when you had a mortgage rate of the 1.2 or 1.8 for a fixed rate, how could you say no to that? And of course, so the demand really spiked through the roof and you suddenly had uh, price appreciation. It's very simple. When there is 100 people are lining up in front of your home, you're going to tell your realtor, I changed my mind. I want to ask for this price now. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, we still have the same problem. Part of that, uh, you know, the escalation in price, that price appreciation had to do with our lack of supply. And I know we, we talked about that, or you talked about that yesterday, but we still have that same problem, even though sales have have definitely uh, slowed down and prices have settled as well. We still have a, a supply problem. Well, we, we, we will have the supply problem for years to come because Government authorities, the leader in our industries, are constantly ignoring the demand equation. We didn't eliminate the demand entirely. We just put the demand on a sideline. Mm-hmm. And when you put the demand on a sideline, it's a temporary measure. So you put them on a sideline for a six months, for a eight months. But when you do constantly the survey among the Canadian and consumers, when over 50% overwhelmingly are just saying, look, I'm going to get back into the market. I just know my timing. So, and we, we, I think we proved in the last five years, we have failed to address the supply and we will have a very difficult time to address the supply because we are quite late to this game by 20 years. Yes. So maybe, maybe the easiest, may, yeah, maybe the easiest approach would be, as I shared yesterday, How can we create a balance between the demand and supply, particularly through the immigration policies? Yeah, that was really, really interesting with the immigration policies that you talked about. Uh, We're getting approximately a half a million uh, per year immigrants, new immigrants. And you had said something to the effect that like 400,000 of those are settling in Ontario. Yeah, over 300, not exactly. Is that correct or am I off? No, yeah. Almost about 60%. Last year, 320,000 of the newcomers, they settled in Ontario. 60%. So, and uh, you, you don't blame wow. them. You so don't, there you go. So you, you don't blame them they settled in Ontario. The Ontario has been a primary target on the international immigration uh, system because for one simple reason. A lot of people, they have friends, relatives here but also job market. Mm-hmm. This is the best job market in the country. Yeah. So, and, and it's very diverse in terms of the job market. It's not like Alberta, only the oil sector. It's really diverse. We literally have all kinds of jobs in Ontario, and that's why we attract a lot of immigrants here. Yeah, so I guess so. 
Is it safe to say um, that what we see in the real estate market across the country is not necessarily what we see or what we're going to see here in the greater Toronto area, the, the Golden Horseshoe area, or even in the whole province of Ontario because of immigration? Uh, exactly. Uh, you know, uh, some people in the social media or in media talk about elimination of the immigration or pausing the immigration, but they don't realize Canada needs immigrants because of the labor force of bringing the talents, bringing, con having a continuous stable economy. Mm -hmm. We are unfortunately a nation that our natural birth rate is dropping. Baby boomers are retiring and uh, uh, we, we are and that position of the cycle of the Canadian life that basically the immigrants are vibrant. But is the policy of the immigration is a proper policy placing 65% of the immigrant in Canada, in Ontario? Probably not. Is it going to take a, maybe a five years plan to really diversify the employment up across maybe Ontario, across maybe Canada, so attract the immigrant to a different position? Yes, it is possible. I can see already in Ontario, companies that they are struggling to attract the talent, they probably will make a move to smaller town within the Ontario mm -hmm. and keeping their headquarters up in Toronto because they want to hire talent. And the acquisition of the talent in the last two years has become very difficult and very costly. Yeah, this, this seems to... Uh, Ontario seems to be um, contrary to what... The Bank of Canada wants to see happen, though. You know, um, you know, Tiff Mackham, he's even spoken about having a higher unemployment rate um, as a way to uh, put the, you know, a grip on inflation and um, move into a recession. And Ontario seems to be growing, and con like I say, contrary to what they'd like to see across the country. Well, uh, look. He wants to see the higher unemployment because he actually has is achieving it on a very slow pace. We were about 5.3, 5.5. Now we're sitting at 5.9% unemployment. He's predicting maybe we'll go to six and a half. You know, there was, there was the discussion of the, the two terminology, recession or resiliency. It seems the Ontario economy has been quite resilient towards the recession. But yes, he really likes to see less spending and let's not uh, underestimate the power of the uh, rising the interest rate. In the last few weeks, we have noticed, so the employment sector is become a little bit better. More talents are looking for a job, which is the indicator of the some companies are maybe put a pause on the growth in 2023 and those expansion plans that they have, maybe they waited. So, I hope it's not a bad thing going to happen if unemployment goes to six and a half so we can actually eventually lower the interest rate in the late latter of the 2023. So I would say the 2023 will be the year of that we finally we found our common ground level. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, also in your presentation, you talked about these policies. Okay, of course, we have the Bank of Canada interest rate. Um, seven rise or seven increases over the last uh, year or not even over the last year, over the last uh, eight months. And 
It also brings us now to Bill 23, the Ontario government's Bill 23, which is the Homes Built Faster Act. And I've spoken to Rob Benzi about this act as well, where the government is feels that we need to build 1.5 million homes in the next 10 years. That's 150,000 homes a year. And you mentioned yesterday that they're a little bit ambitious and really not that realistic. Let's let's chat a little bit more about that. So, so you want to build homes fast. Let's assume the Bill 23, nicely done, the red tape are removed, and we have the ability to build homes according to new study also called middle class. So we will have conformity on the density rather than a concentrated density. We spread the density across the neighborhoods in the GTA. But one thing everybody is not talking about it. Do we have the labor force? Mm -hmm. Do we have the talent? We have not been able to manage to build homes Nothing higher than the pace of the hundred thousand homes, which which slightly, which we slightly achieved it in twenty twenty one. So we are still short by fifty thousand homes. Yes, it is doable, but it requires additional labor force. Could it be temporary labor force from uh, uh, foreign nationals uh, to bring into the country? That could be a solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, could be bringing the labor force uh, from other provinces. That could be the solutions, but we need the labor force. So, and I said, assuming the Bill 23 is a nice and clean slate, but the problem that I see, the Bill 23 is a politician platform announced. Is it really going to get nicely done through the city council? Because where the permits are issued, where the red tapes are, or at the city level, yeah, I still doubt it that from a three years three years approval plan suddenly we come down to a six months approval plan. It's probably going to be a five years plan that this bill twenty three will really streamline itself. Yeah, and then that's why Ford has given the mayor of Toronto, the mayor of Ottawa, those extra powers to be able to cut through some of that red tape and get homes built faster. So you can build home faster also. But another, another issue that nobody talks about it, where is the underlying infrastructure, sewage system, water management system, uh, transit, um, um, transportation, mm-hmm. all that. You can build as many homes you own, but how are you going to get to them? How are you going to bring those services to them? It's not about just the builder suddenly bring uh, a group of uh, workers and just say, okay, let's build a thousand homes. That's one part of it. Other infrastructure of the also servicing these properties, it's another concern that it needs really planning. It's a great bill, but uh, my message to the consumers is this. The expectation that if this bill caused the market in two, three years, we create a balance between supply and demand, dream on. Maybe 10 years from now. We'll reach that point. Yeah, I'll, I'll be retired from real estate by then. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Um, Me too. <laughs> so rates are higher, but as a result, prices of houses have settled as well. So if you're looking at buying, you still need to get pre-qualified. And like I always say, get in touch with Jason Georgopoulos of Dominion Lending. And he's going to guide you through the whole process, get you the best rates and the best terms available. 
To get in touch with Jason, you can email him at jasong at dominionlending.ca. And then, you know, with these policies, uh, they always seem to try to find a reason or a scapegoat as to why the average Canadian cannot buy a home. And that leads me into the foreign buyer ban that um, is taking place here in uh, the whole country over the next uh, two years, apparently, this ban is. And, you know, as you mentioned yesterday, foreign buyers in Ontario, they only made up about 3.4% of the buyers or of all of the sales last year. Yeah, yeah. so they made up for a small portion. But also the policies are really, I'm sorry to say that I never want to be a politician, but the policies are really speaking <laughs> from the two sides of the spectrum. They come up with the policy, but they said, oh, international students are exempt. 120,000 international students are exempt. They come with a policy, they said, oh, the work permits are exempt. Oh, that's another 30,000, 40,000 work permits. And who are the international students? Let's go back to the first category. These are the young talent that now the immigration, immigration, Canada immigration is really pushing universities to bring more talent so they can get absorbed into the market because they want them after they finish their high school, they apply for permanent residency. Mm-hmm. And they get job in Canada. They get hired in Canada. They want to help the immigration policy. So they want to train the immigrant through two-phase. Become an international student. Okay, let's go buy a house. So the biggest category in the international student, if you are worried about the foreign investors from across the globe, mostly from Middle East and Southeast Asia, guess what is the contingency of the international student from those countries? Mm-hmm. Well, we exempt them. Yeah, we exempt them. So uh, if the rich daddy from any part of the world or rich mommy wants to buy for the kids that they are studying here in UFD, guess what? They found the loophole. So it really doesn't have an impact. Even if it has an impact, 3.4% of the 100,000 transaction in in, in GTA, let's call it GTA, forget about the Ontario, Mm -hmm. in GTA, okay? 3% of the GTA, 100,000 transaction. Is reflect of what three thousand yeah. uh, homes exchange does the tr- does the three thousand homes is a big dent to one hundred fifty thousand homes that we need not really absolutely not no well that leads me into who the most active buyers are in the market and this is this was kind of surprising for me um, based on your graph the most active buyers in our markets are people who already own properties well real estate. Canadian firmly, contrary to our American counterpart and contrary to even the European, Canadian because of the the beautiful landscape of the diversity that we have, for years, for decades, they believe firmly in the real estate asset investment. And in the last 10 years, that... We sure do. Yeah, we sure do. We always teach our children, look, buy your property, invest in real estate. I can testify to... Any type of Canadian with any type of different background, uh, they firmly believe in this value proposition. So in the last 10 years, the market has proved to us, oh, my God, I better enter into the market before I miss the boat. And now the parents are helping their future generation, their children to enter into the market. In your era and my era, the parents didn't help us. 
But in the new era, you and me, we are helping our children to enter into the real estate market because now we firmly believe it. Mm -hmm. That puts the multi-owner's mortgage rate and the multi-owner ownership rate above even the first-time buyer. So what are you going to do with this group of the Canadian? These are Canadian. They're not foreigners. What are you going to tell them? Don't buy a property. Don't invest in real estate. Yeah, exactly. Don't invest. Yeah. Don't invest in your retirement. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Yeah. So that was great. And then next in line for uh, the number of people buying homes was the repeat home buyer. So that would be somebody that was, is looking at uh, moving up. Uh, downsizing. They already own a property and they're, they're they're looking for their next move. Yeah. Well, you know, you've been in the business for a long time, Desi. So it's a cycle. People start from a rental, go to a small home, go to a townhouse, go to a detached, go to a bigger home. And then they come back downwards as they age, as they basically mature life, the children move out. So Canadian, they don't have the habit of the staying in a home for life. They will, in their lifespan, they probably exchange at least anywhere between three or five homes, and they're looking always for a better quality of the life. Mm -hmm. And that's a second segment. All these policies, the only thing it does is remove the first-time buyer portions. It removes, it makes the first-time buyer portion, which is about 50% of the market, it just basically put them on a sideline for a temporary basis. Or it pushed the first-time buyer. The first-time buyer also are now very smart. Mm -hmm. They don't want to miss the boat this time around. So they are saying, okay, you don't allow me to, let's say, to buy in Toronto because it's becoming very unaffordable. I'm going to go buy in Barrie. Yeah. I'm going to go buy in Ottawa. I'm going to go buy in London. And the younger generation of the five years ago that they wanted to be in the Toronto on King Street lifestyle, they are saying, look, the millennial particularly, they're just saying, look, where is the job is going to be my yeah. home. Yeah, and that and there are great job opportunities within Ontario. Yeah, and that was another thing that uh, that that you mentioned yesterday too is that the unemployment rate in Ottawa is one of the lowest in um, in in our province, and when it comes to buying real estate, it's very affordable there. So it's not a bad place to be. No, London, Ontario is great. Ottawa is great. London, Ontario is a hub of the insurance company health. Uh, sector and mm -hmm. Ottawa is a civil servant. Um, the federal government is there. Many tech company tech companies are really doing well. And now we have noticed in the last five years, large companies such as Amazon uh, and many other American companies, they are setting up the logistic centers across province of Ontario. Ottawa, uh, between Toronto to Ottawa. Amazon has set up three logistics centers. One of the large one, two of the large one are in the vicinity of the Ottawa. So a lot of younger generation, they basically are attracted to those uh, jobs. Mm -hmm. So that leads us into, you know, this talk, is the market crashing? And I know when I'm doing my, my evaluations now, um, the prices definitely aren't where they were in February, March of 2022. But I'm seeing our prices somewhere around first quarter of 2021. And um, that also leads me into how much a home has increased since 2011 to 2021. And I think you had a stat there that showed that the average price in Ontario in 2011 was 329000 And in 
2021, the average price was $923,000. So when you take a look at that, we are not going through a crash. We have some pretty good high prices still. So the word crash is, again, another perception. If you are comparing us to February of the 2022, exactly 12 months ago, yeah, Mm -hmm. we are down by uh, 30% in activity. We are down by almost uh, 15% on the prices. But as you just explained, if you're looking at even not 10 years, if you look at the last five years, we are plus 20% increase in our home evaluation. So there is no crash. Mm-hmm. Another indicator that nobody talked about it in 2022, no one. If the Canadian housing market and a Canadian home ownership, they were in financial trouble, can someone explain to me why we did not have massive offload of a homeowner putting their home on the market because of the interest rate in 2022? We didn't. Mm-hmm. We have no, no inventory. And interestingly, interestingly, what happened in the early 2021, which we had a massive spike, in the last seven days, I'm getting calls, I'm reading the social media from Hallmark agents across Ontario, what's happening in the market? Multiple offers are happening again. They are. Multiple offers are happening again. And I tell you why the multiple offers are happening again. The buyers are saying, okay, the government is talking about the changing the mortgage rule again, OSFI, and they are saying before that study is complete, before that changes in the market, let me jump in. So I have a very strong feeling that we're going to have a very strong and robust first two quarters. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. The OSFIs uh, or the bank regulator change is going to make a big dent. The only thing it will do again, will push a certain first-time buyer to a different suburb area. The market is not crashing, but and we have to constantly compare our numbers, our prices within the last five years and historical data, not comparing it to one year, which was a one-off. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so as we get ready to wrap up here, you did touch on 2023 and the first couple of quarters. So let's, let, 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 let's take a look at 2023 your predictions for 2023, where do you think we're going to be going? Okay, rental market in the last four or five months went crazy. Now it's a wake-up call for the renters, which they used to be early 2022 in a bucket of the first-time buyer. They said, okay, let me pause, let me go rent. Mm -hmm. We had even Baby Boomer who sold, cashed out, and just said, oh, no, I'm not buying, let me rent. All those people are saying, do I want to pay crazy rent? Those people will come back to the market. Where they come back, they will come back in the condo market. Condo market is the only area that I talked yesterday. We're going to have a massive supply of the pre-con that is going to be ready this year, almost about thirty to 32,000, according to our urbanization report. Yeah, 30,000, yeah. So that will put a dent on a condo market. It will be very robust, very attractive, an opportunity, I call it. So if you want to invest in a condo market for through mm-hmm. assignment, or through buying the inventory that's coming, this is the year, this is the time for it, and jump at it because location, location, location is the key. And most of these projects are in GTA. And what's going to happen also suburb in 2023? Suburb in 2023 is going to be really going to be, again, on the expansion and growing mode. 
such as Durham, such as Simcoe County, such as Ottawa, London, and Toronto. Yes, of course, is the center of the real estate market in Canada. Is it the place for everyone? No. A lot of people want to be there. And the buying and mortgage rules is going to be the one of the biggest challenge in 2023 because borrowing the money is going to become difficult and more difficult. But the good news is we have a very good contingency of the alternative lenders. And lastly, look at the bond market. The bond market is dropping and the banks are now becoming more aggressive in a mortgage rate. Five years rate now is sitting at 495 And all these banks, even with the change of the mortgage rules, if it's happened, they're fighting for a small portion group of the mortgagees. So therefore, they will bring competitive mortgage rate into the market. Boy, so it's it's looking pretty good for 2023 for real estate. It really is overall. Yeah, it's uh, overall, I don't see any issue with it. I will uh, say the market is going to be healthy, steady. Is it going to be as crazy as the 2021 or the early part of the 2022? Absolutely not. But guess what? We want a healthy, uh, steady, balanced market because, frankly, nobody wants to see a market that suddenly one morning we wake up and it crash. Yeah, it crashed. Or to go back to what we had um, in, in 2022 where people were priced out and uh, – it just was not possible for a lot of people to get in, especially the first-time buyers. Uh, one last comment that I actually didn't share yesterday, and then after my presentation, I thought, oh, my God, I missed that. I'm going to share it with your podcast. Is your special notes for you, Desi. Oh, thank you. Look, if we do not, if we do not, if we do not have a sustainable plan with the supply and demand, we actually going to discourage immigrants coming to Canada. Hmm. As soon as in the next 10 years, the immigrants, they realize Canada, New Zealand, England, U.S., wherever are the, on the top list. And if Canada becomes the most expensive part of the immigration for living, we are actually going to lose immigrants. Hmm. So it's beneficial for us and for Canada to really work on this sustainable policy, and it requires a collaboration agreement among all level of government. Boy, it sure does. Well, well, there are the words of wisdom from Steve Tavrizi, our Chief Operating Officer here at REMAX Hallmark. Steve, thank you so much for joining us again on Soul in the Six, and let's see how the next year plays out. Thank you very much, Desi. And that's our latest episode of Soul in the Six, and I have to agree with Steve, and from what I'm seeing out on the street, we're going to have a really exciting 2023 in real estate. I'd like to thank my producer, Doug Downs, of Stories and Strategies for producing this episode. And if you like this episode, please subscribe and leave a review and a rating. And also, if you really liked it, feel free to send it on to a friend. If you need to get in touch with me, you can email me at des at desmondbrown.ca. And I'm also on all of the social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and my handle is Des in the Six, and the Six is spelt number six, I-X. Until next time, I'm Desmond Brown.